program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Spencer Horn. And uh, one, I do want to know if Horn is like, like a name that's been in your family forever does someone just be like we went around the coast of africa horn i mean how did how did the name horn come about because there's a couple of different kinds of horns right there's the english horn that's the h-o-r-n-e and then there's the the german horn which is the h-o-r-n and that's what i have and gosh i think the horn as far as i can tell goes all the way back to the 1600s i don't know if it was christian horn but um, so it's been in the family a long time. It is definitely German horn. That's a German horn. Yeah. It, so that fact, makes us sound like, you know, like a guttural. <laughs> yeah. Horn. Uh, horn. And my father's name is Nafi. Nafi? Nafi horn. Yep. Nafi horn. I've never heard that before. Like Nephi? Oh, Nephi. Like Nephi. Yeah, but they say okay. Nafi. They say Nafi. Okay, so for those who don't know, Nephi is uh, um, an individual that is in the Book of Mormon, and he is one of the early people that established that colony, and he's he's awesome. Nephi and Nephi is awesome. Yeah, yeah. and so so it's like so, you've been named after Abraham or or Moses. That's so. that's right. Yeah. So he came over from Germany to Canada after the war. He wanted to come to the United States, but there was like a five-year wait. And Canada would just let anybody in. So he went to Canada and, and uh, <laughs> his sister. Uh, I just find that really funny. You know, I mean, and sad because I feel like immigration is amazing and we should have more people and we should be like, come here and participate in our economy and our language and our awesomeness. And Canada seems to be doing pretty well letting people in. So I just yeah. find it pretty funny that you're like, they'll let anybody in. that's right Uh, it's great a great country great my mother is canadian and my father was german and so i'm actually first generation american i was first in my family born in this country so i'm a big advocate for immigration i i I think that this country this country was built on immigration we are mostly a nation of immigrants absolutely now there's a theory in my family i have to do the genetic test that we are a little bit native american but I'm doubting more and more if that is true. But on my dad's side, 100% immigrated here, um, my great-great-grandfather for religious reasons. So again, we, we immigrated here and only the Native Americans um, have been here for a really, really, really long time. Right. But um, Nephi and the Book of Mormon have a theory on that. So, but that's <laughs> not what this podcast is about today. Um, so Um, Spencer and I know each other from the National Speaker Association, and you are um, like the president this year, like the vice president this year. No, I'm I'm the treasurer, so I I I count the beans. Okay, well that's really important. I've served on the board of the National Speaker Association, but as soon as they said 
you need to go on the leadership track and then you can be the president one day. I said, ooh, 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 I'm not good with people. I got to go. <laughs> so, I find that hard to believe. No, I just didn't want the extra responsibility. Oh, so, I just so had you, so you, much you obfuscated. On. You obfuscated to say I'm not good with people. I get it. Yeah, that was my joke. Like, ooh, I'm not good with people. Um, yes, I, I need to go. <laughs> Just because I just couldn't imagine with having a handicapped mom and my business and my kids, and I actually believe in cooking dinner, actually being able to serve as president well. So I just- I want to hear about what you cook for dinner. Um, last night, I made cauliflower potato Indian ginger soup. It was delicious. Wow. Tonight, I have a hot date with Mr. Green. <laughs> and what are you go is he is, are you taking him out for dinner um i think it's a mutual thing but he uh, he officially asked me nice and, and you said yes and i accepted because um he made the plans but you know we're uh, not in high school anymore so he doesn't like send balloons or you know have a poster to ask me out he, he sends a text says, hey honey you're, 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 you're on for tonight yeah he says hey we're gonna go out with these friends of mine uh what time on Friday works for you? And that, that's how it went. So I don't know if that crushes everybody's ideas of romance, but I think it's really romantic that I don't have to wake up in the morning wondering if Mr. Green likes me. So, and there's a Mrs. Horn, a Mrs. Horn. There is uh, yeah. 35 plus years, Mrs. Horn. Well done. Well done. Really, really done. So I want to go into a little bit of what you do professionally because okay. as we were talking offline, we haven't really had a conversation about other than just we're in the National Speaker Association together. We're both awesome. But this is really like other than just kind of ha 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 conversations that we have had. So we're like cold turkey to each other, but you're funny and you laugh at my jokes. So <laughs> I thought Spencer should be on my podcast. And thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here because you're awesome. And, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, you have incredible energy and you're just you're just fun to watch. And, and I, I giggle watching you. Right. That's why I had you on, because you <laughs> giggle or laugh at my jokes. People that are stand up in a room and are like, hey, you're stinky pants. I don't have them on my podcast. I mean, it hasn't actually happened unless you're actually related to me. But right. Uh, you know, it's just a policy that why why have poopiness out there and why encourage poopiness exactly exactly you need so a, tell you need a no poopiness allowed sign i i really that is kind of one of my life mottos <laughs> you know what I would you like me to tell you i don't come near it okay so you're a speaker you're the treasure but what do you speak on i just know it's in leadership yeah it is leadership my so i actually talk about a, a lot of topics under leadership that have to do with team performance. That is emotional intelligence. It's about communication. It's about accountability, delegation, and, and just owning your results and taking greater ownership in your life. Love it. Love Those it. are things that I, that I like to talk about. I'm a big fan of accountability. Yeah. I think not being accountable is the definition of poopiness. So <laughs> exactly. Right. So how did you get into it, Spencer? What's the juicy story behind becoming a speaker? You know, that is that is a great question. And it, it goes back to 2007. And I had moved to Las Vegas to work for a nonprofit organization. And I had never done that before. I was hired as the executive director of a children's charity. And 
after a year and a half that they, they needed someone with, with business experience. And there was something that, that uh, really bad that happened. There was a, a, a person that my kind of finance person hired to take her place. And she was a parent of a child that was in the program and, and she wanted to retire. So she hired someone and trained her. And within a month of her retiring, this new person started embezzling. Oh no, from a children's charity. Yeah, a a children's charity. And and I and I discovered it because I was, you know, having an audit done for the United Way. And and uh so I I was like, okay, when is that audit happening? Oh, they're too busy, it's tax season, you know, because they were an audit firm and and finally, I called up this audit firm and I said, what is going on? How come we can't get this going? She said, well, we're, we're waiting for your person to get us stuff. And I, oh, no. Brought her in the office, confronted her, fired her. And the, uh, the board president at the time was, a, was afraid of the optics and how that would be seen in the community. So fired me. Oh, now, nice. Yeah, right. So for having personal. integrity and accountability and requiring that of the organization, Right. Very glad you didn't say this children's charity, <laughs> so we don't have to be like and undermine their work. So no, yeah. it, 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 they offered me the job back a year later, but by then it was you know I'm like no, thank you, and you know I had I, I still have ties to the organization and the person who's there now. I hired and and a great. And of course, you wish them the best. Because I do great, great, great organization, yeah. and I and I understand it. But at the time that was that was hard for me because I'd moved my whole family to Las Vegas and for the first time I was kind of out of a job for four months. And then I was hired. I was introduced to a leadership training and development company and they hired me to do organizational development training. That was March of 2008. And as you know, I mean, that was right as the recession was starting to crash and it was not a good time to find another job, but they said, um, we need you to sell. And so starting in January of, of 2000 nine, I started selling for them on a hundred percent commission during one of the worst recessions until this last one, of course. And the first thing that commission, yeah, hundred percent commission. Wow. So so no paycheck unless I I sold. And it was, it was real, like I said, not a good time to find another job. But one of the first things that people cut during a recession is leadership training and, and outside, uh, you know, third party uh, vendors and and providers of those types of services. But uh, I decided that well, back up just a little bit. One of the one of the ways that they sold is if you had a book of business, that means that you had a, a, a client base. Anytime they would come to the training, it was so impactful that they would just refer other people within the company. I didn't have a book of business because I was new. Right. And so I was like, okay, how can I, how can I do this? And for me, it was I need to get on stages. I need to be able to be a subject matter expert and be able to use that to generate a pipeline. And so that's when I started speaking in 2009. Right, right. And for people who are not in sales, your pipeline is all the people you can follow up with and call and connect with and who do you know? And so if you're- Prospects. If you're selling Kool-Aid, it's the neighbor lady you're you're waving your sign at to. Uh, right, I needed media. to get on the stage yeah. and say, listen, you need to drink my Kool-Aid is what I was talking <laughs> exactly what I was doing and yeah it's it was it's a it's a rough time it's a rough time to start a new business because people typically cut the things that will help them grow but right and there were companies that didn't cut and they were the ones that were faring better than everyone else and um so it was and, and it was successful the process worked and I was able to make more money than I'd ever made it it was still very 
uneven, you know, sales can, some months you do great, others you don't. And that can, that can be difficult, but that taught me a lot. I mean, it's, it's the adversity and the challenge and learning how to have that success was, was a, was really a defining moment in my career. Now um, with Mrs. Horn, you have children. I know that cause I've, you know, stalked you a little bit on social media. How old were the kids? How many kids did you have at home? And you're on hundred percent commission. Yeah, uh, we had four kids at home. Uh, our, our oldest got married in 2009. So yeah, October of, of 2009. So she's, gosh, she's grown and up and has she. four kids of her own. Yeah, she has four so you children. You had to pay for the wedding while you're 100% commission. You're like, well, we can get you a dress if daddy sells something. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, we had three, our first three were daughters. And so our last marriage was was 2017. We have two boys, two sons that are not not yet married, but yeah, three three wonderful daughters that uh, were very very. Um, we had very creative weddings. Excellent. Yes, my wedding cost a thousand dollars. I paid for it myself, and um, it was thousand dollars was my budget, and it was very creative and very lovely. But having been a makeup artist, I knew what was important. Right. My dress, the pictures. <laughs> right. That's it. it. You know, and, and so, and it's, and it's interesting. I mean, our, our, our oldest daughter, I mean, she, her wedding dress was actually uh, donated by someone in their family because that was something that, that they wanted to do. And I mean, the wedding dress itself was, I, I can't even, I, I, it was a lot of money, but, um, but then we had, you know, at the church and we had just all family get in and we just did it as, as, as cost effectively as possible. And you know, what's interesting is now that my wife has just gotten to be expert at that. She's actually helped other people do that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because having been a makeup artist and seeing, you know, I'm there doing the makeup and seeing people stressing about the things that I'm like, is that really worth marring your emotions of today over? Yeah. You know, just, and then the bride is just like, Oh, <laughs> The venue's flooded. Oh, well, we'll do it outside. And it ends up making beautiful memories that are so fun when I'm the outside party to this wedding. And so when it came my time, I was like, who I'm marrying, how I'm marrying him, and that I look good and is documented. <laughs> so my dress was made, you know, it, I looked good. So, okay, so let's go a little bit deeper. You've gone through this period of your life where you've gone from a secure job is kind of connotated before you've yeah. always had that security to you got creative figured out how to make it happen where did you what point in that process did you decide to start your own company was it because you're like i'm 100 selling for them why did you decide to start your own thing boy you're you're getting into all the the dirt aren't you well, I mean, I don't want to dig up any turds, but yeah. Um, so I, I worked with that company for seven and a half years. Uh, I made a goal very shortly after starting there that I wanted to be the CEO of that company. And uh -huh. so I set a goal to do that in five years. And that happened in five years in one month. And the the company, and that's not to impress anybody. They I was the I think it's CEO. Awesome. What's that? I was I the fourth awesome. CEO in five years. <laughs> so I'm like, this time it's going to be different. It's like the runaway bride, right? You always think, well, you know, she's not going to run off 
with 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 me it's because it's it's me but so i i got that <laughs> oh because there have been turnover of the ceos right they'd been they'd been fired or they failed and i'm like you know what i have a process that i'm gonna the, the company had had struggled since that recession i mean literally i mean sales had cut in half and and so there was tremendous pressure to 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 make changes and the owner at the time who bought the company he bought it for you know multi millions of dollars was the, the, the company's value was like now just a, a few million dollars and and i'm like okay here's the plan here's what we need to, to i need to I, I need to be able to do x y and z to grow the company so there's no way i'm not giving you any more money i'm not and i said then then we need to find another partner to come in and and um but we had the company valued and he wasn't willing to share that or, or sell stock in the company for what it was worth because he had overvalued it in his own mind. So my hands were tied. Yeah. And so I had to, again, get creative. It was like running in mud. So I'm, and I'm used to running in mud now because I had to do that to get started. Right. So I put this plan together. And um, after just about two years, we had, we had, I, I think we made some, some great progress, but some of the old school people that had done things the old way were like, we need to go back to what, you know, our roots, what we've done in the past. And they didn't realize that, you know, the market had, had shifted so much compared to what they did 20, 30 years ago, that, that that's why I wanted to, to put forward this new process. And, and I had vetted it and I brought in new salespeople and we're training them. And, and the old salespeople were kind of sabotaging that. And so the CEO was just like, fine, um, Spencer's going to go. And that was July 30th of 2000, no, July 31st, 2015. And I started on January, excuse me, August 1st of 2015, <laughs> I started my own company. And uh, my wife was so happy because she's, you know, I've been praying for something that because you were so stressed and so frustrated. I just, I, I was just hoping something would happen that you could extricate yourself from that company. And in I four love days, your wife right now. I yeah, love she, her because she really she, is. Um, it's it's funny. My husband's an attorney, and yeah. one time I was at this big group gathering, and this lady gestures to me. She's like, "Come here, come here. This is where the attorney wives are." And I was like, "Oh, well, I got to find out where the trucker's daughters are," <laughs> <laughs> because you know I'm not defining myself on the perceived value of my husband's paycheck. And because of that, I've been able to give him flexibility because it's not like, how much money can you make? It's how much money can we make and still have a lifestyle as a team? And it's, it's provided a better life for both of us. And I do think that when I'm cooking dinner and he's, you know, that we're a team. And we are a team. And, and in our house, we have our, our youngest still lives with us. He's, he's working and paying for his own education. We helped him a little bit, but he works at night at UPS as a supervisor and a, a, a you know manager at 20 years old. And he's up at the University of Utah. Awesome. So Sam, yeah, Sam, you can hear his name. Sam uh, makes dinner on Thursday nights. I make dinner on Monday nights and, and Jana does the rest. So we all, we, you know, we I'll get it to have a little bit of a turn. Sometimes I forget. She's like, okay, what's your menu? I'm like, oh crap. I <laughs> Wait, she does the shopping for you too? <laughs> no, but, it, but if, if she's out and about and, and, uh, and there's something that I had forgotten, then she'll get it. Yeah, that's awesome. I do. I, know, do we... I usually do my own shopping, but she was like, Hey, are, do you have everything you need for dinner tonight? Remember you're on. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I think we, and there's a lot of conversation about gender roles and so I, your wife helps people with weddings. Does she do other things for money? She doesn't, but she, I, but she, she raised did. five kids. 
She does. And so and my hold on, no, no, no. I, what am I saying? She's the CEO, and and she is the majority owner in our company. That's what I was going to say. Is that yeah. your ability to make your own business? Yeah, she is and a, to have a, that entrepreneurial, that. which when you're starting, it is scary. So people are always like, Lita, you're so empowered. You built this business all yourself, and I'm like. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm the face of it. I implemented it. But, you know, when I went to my husband and said, okay, um, I'm going to grow something. I want to make an investment in something. So it looks like I'm not going to pay us. You know, my business is not going to pay us for the next two months. I have the flexibility to do that because he's like, totally love it. Right. So on paper, he's not an owner of the business. I mean, he would inherit it, I guess, if I die, but right. I die, it's, you know, Lita Green speaking and Lita Green writing books and Lita Green putting on makeup is not really duplicatable for him to do. But, you know, the the power of partnership in um, the marriage of the give and take, you know, I hear young people talk about how, you know, I'm looking for someone, you know, to be my better half to enhance me. And it's like, no, you got to go into a partnership with I'll give 110% and they're going to give 70. Sometimes they're going to give 60 or 30. But there's going to be another time that I'm giving 60 and they're giving 110, but you can't go into it with, they're going to carry me through life. That's right. And it is, so knowing the, let me just set up the little bit of the situation. As I told you, we were, you know, we'd come out of the recession and, and I became the CEO and, and we were paid well compensated, but it, it was just helping us get out of debt from those previous years. And so we didn't have any savings. So we had zero in the bank when this happened. Mm-hmm. But I had what I believed is a solution or service and just my knowledge to be able to help clients. So I had that as an asset. You need three things to start a company. You need to have a product that people want and you need to have a market that that wants those products, right? And you need to have capital. We had two of the three. We had no capital, but I did have my American Express card. (laughs) And, and, And I could spend as much as I wanted for 30 days. For 30 days. Yeah. My business started on a $3,000 investment and <laughs> haven't looked back since. So right. yeah, but, uh, I I'm afraid of debt. I don't, I don't love the debt. So that no. 30 days of time that puts some serious fire and hustle in you to pay that, pay that off. Yeah. And, and we did, I mean, we had a goal. Our, I mean, our goal was, this was back in 2015 to gross, um, a certain amount of, of money. And we beat that and, you know, averaged on, on a six month, you know, so by the end of December, we had, we had beat that and, and, um, and we just grew, we grew from there, but it was, it's, you know, it's tough. There are sacrifices. And so knowing that she knew what she was in for and, and then she has become the, you know, the, the basically the accounting brains behind the operation. And, and that's, uh, you know, she's had to learn all those, those things and right, she right. makes it possible for me to do so much. And it is truly uh, a, truly a partnership and, and it's fun working with her because now as, as business owners, we get to travel together. When I go speak, most of the time she's there with me and she's my business partner. So the business pays for it. Well, a little secret when our kids are graduated and the house is paid off, that is my dream is to lure Mr. Green. I've, I've got him working from home and, you know, pre-pandemic. And then yeah. we're like, oh, I, cause you know, I've been to places like Indonesia and Armenia without a family member. And it's just like, oh, it just kills me. So um, that's, that's Armenia? 
Yes, an amazing experience. An well, amazing. I, I'm experience. hoping to go there soon. They 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 want me to come. I'm I'm actually planning on speaking in Cyprus in November, and then love it. Lebanon uh, will has is just gonna. It's like a 30 minute flight from there. They want me to speak. My hope was to jump over to Armenia while I was there, but. It's an amazing country and we'll have, I mean, maybe I'll have to do a whole entire podcast about how amazing yeah. Armenia is because the people there, um, the culture, they've gone through a genocide in almost every generation. I know they just, maybe people who are listening don't even realize they just finished a, they just had a war that ended last September. It was, yeah. so. And that's common. I mean, it's just crazy. And yet they are so open and so warm and they love God and they're actually like the first christian country that has stayed christian the whole time like paul you know the apostle that hung out with you know i mean it's just crazy the history of this country and how amazing the people are and the kardashians are um, armenian is that and right? by the no way idea. and by the way everybody looks like that in armenia everybody all the women are freakishly gorgeous all of them and the men look like the stereotype of what you'd put on a corner in the Italian mob. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like I saw a really good looking Armenian man. I was like, look, ladies flirt with him. Make more of those, <laughs> well, you know? I have a friend, Thomas, and he, he's, a, he's a great guy, but it, it, what, a, what, a great, what a great people and country. And a, yeah, and I know a, that was what, what, that something that on their name that says Jan, a lot of the last names have like Jan and it means so, it's like they're the ancient Armenian hero was uh was i can't remember anyway i can't remember yeah, all the lore. but it was it was a i mean it's one of the things about speaking and you know when you go up on that stage it's a lifestyle it, well and it's what i was thinking too is like the sense of responsibility that you have yeah and i know i know from what you're kind of saying you're like i knew i had something to to share i knew i had something and it's you know, when it, a speaking is done right, it has really nothing to do with you. It has to do with what you're giving your audience. And I see that in you. And so I give that a, I give that a high five Spencer, because when you see speakers, like I can speak on anything, you're like, mm, no, you can talk and you can entertain yourself, but is that a value to your audience? And that's one of the things that, um, you know, that, that you talk about what fuels and, and, and that, you know, is your heat? I, I just before I got off. Uh, well, just before I got on with you, I was on with one of my uh, friends who happened to be in a in a leadership class that I'd done three years ago. Uh huh. And, and he's he just said, I you know I need help, and they reach out because they look at you as somebody that can solve problems, and and it's amazing. You you sometimes we're unaware of how much of an impact we have on people, and you know we're just normal people living our lives but to others that see us and and hear us we are you know we we have to be so careful to walk our talk absolutely and it's it's a it's the sacred responsibility it really is. it is and but that is what feels when they when when something happens good in their life and they i said you know what's good he told me all the stuff it's because of the help that you gave him like really oh my goodness it's, you did it but he's like yeah but you inspired that and that is what is so exciting about what we do. I, the longer that someone reaches back out and says this principle helped me, I had someone call me recently and it, they hadn't heard me. It'd been like six, seven years ago that they heard me oh speak. And literally you just have tears going down your face because you're thinking, 
I, I was able to have that impact. And, and that goes beyond, to me, that gets into a spiritual realm of what, it, like I said, it's a sacred responsibility. It's a gift. And of course, in ho- doing this podcast, pod- podcast, podcast, <laughs> this podcast, um, I hope that somebody will pick up nuggets for my guests yeah. that will help their life or be inspired to realize that how amazing each of us are and to connect with that inside of our own self. And Lita, what, what is interesting is you never know what it is that you say that will impact someone. And, and, it's, the, and it's the strangest thing sometimes. I mean, I, I've had a, a man come up to me. I was telling a story one time about just coming home from work and you know how I behave when I would see the, the socks with teenagers, you know, the sho- shoes and socks out on the floor. And the story of my teenager socks is what impacted this person because they totally resonated with them about how they're behaving with their children. Well, now I I have to know the story. (laughs) (laughs) Can't leave us hanging. You know, know? one of the things I, I talk about is, is intention versus impact. And most of us have good intentions. In other words, we, we, we think that, you know, because we have good intentions, we, we want to make the world a better place that, that therefore we're good managers, we're good parents, we're good, we're good significant others or spouses. And, right. and, but it's not your intentions that matter. What matters is your impact. How are you impacting people? Not what, the, what you think you're doing. And, and so it's, it's about closing that gap between your good intentions and your impact so that they're the same. But I, I, I talk about, you know, the, managing task versus relationship is a big part of what we do in, in work and in our personal lives, right? You got the job that has to be done. And then you have the relationship that allows you to be able to sustain the job that you do. But sometimes some people are very task focused, like me. I think you're very, you're, you're probably more relationship focused. Than my husband's task. So it makes right. us an amazing team. Exactly. And, and so we're the same. My, I'm more task oriented and my wife is more relationship oriented. But when I get focused on just the task, the relationship suffers and takes a back seat. And, and so one of the things that happens is, you know, I, I, I want two things. And this is the example. You know, I, 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 this is a simplified illustration of what I'm talking about. When we're I'm ready. coming home, I want the house to be clean. That's task. And I, and I want a great relationship with, with my kids. I want them to know that I love them. Right. Right. But if any of you have teenagers, you know, that there's this disease that they have. I don't know what it is, but when they come home from school, they just take their shoes and socks off, like wherever they are, it could be in the front room, but sometimes it's like right in the hallway to the front room. So you have to step over those. And this is no lie. Probably 5,000 times, it's like, okay, you know, put your shoes away. We actually put a box by, you know, little cubbies by the door that they could put them in and that they never get in there, right? I mean, there's this, there, there's this uh, Instagram post that says how to be a, a successful teenager. It's absolutely hilarious, but it's about, you know, how, you know, leaving things out the way they do all over their floor. And if they have a basket for their clothes, it's like a clothing is halfway in it. The rest of it's on the floor and mostly the basket's empty. It's like, you know, the, the, the clothes and like the steps and the things that just kind of fall as they're falling off right. their body. And um, when right. my parents lived with me, my dad did this and he also would have muddy footprints. And I'd be like, dad, if you could maybe take the muddy shoes off on the porch, instead of walking across the step, you know, the, the whole landing right. the carpet. Right. And he'd be like, well, they're not that dirty. And I'm like, okay, how about I put a bench out here <laughs> on the porch? <laughs> I 
I love him, but I also want, I'm, I'm a relationships, but I like my house clean. <laughs> right. So, so, so I come home and I've been working a long day. I'm tired. I'm, I'm frustrated because I've been putting out a lot of energy and sometimes and you know, our family, yeah, they, they get, well, you know, now I'm even like, I'm at, at this point I was like the CEO, but I, so I'm still a lot of stress and sometimes the family gets the remains of the day, but I come home and what are the, what's the first thing I see? Shoes and socks. And so I'm like, Josh, dude, what's this? You know? And he's like, eyeball roll. Ugh shoes so i go where are they supposed to be bad again away yeah. i go great why don't you take care of that so he gets up off the couch in a huff right puts his shoes and socks away and then plops back down on the couch to play video games and now i want to have a relationship with him and so i'm like hey josh tell me about your day and, and it's like ugh, eyeball roll again and I, I what kind of conversation do you think i'm going to have because i focused on the task first and the relationship second so let's rewind that I come in and it's the 5,000th time that the shoes and socks are, are out and when they're not supposed to be. And I, I just suspend my judgment for a second. I step over them. I sit down on the couch next to Josh and I go, hey, bud, tell me about your day. I mean, how did it go? How was your math test? I know you had a math. I don't know, dad. I mean, I didn't get my score back yet. And I'm like, that's okay. Well, how did you feel like you did? Well, I think it was, I, I think I, I mean, I, I feel like I answered them okay, so I feel pretty good about it. Oh, that's awesome. How was volleyball? Oh, it was awesome. Grant set me, and I just spiked it, and it hit the other guy in the face and knocked him down. It was so awesome. It was so cool. <laughs> I'm like, that's okay. That's good. And I said, how about homecoming? You know, did, did did Alex respond? I mean, you know, that was really awesome what you did. And and he's like, Dad, of course, <laughs> me. Of course, she responded. Yeah, I'm amazing. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazing. Of course she's going. Why, why are you even asking? I go, that's good. That's really good. Man, sounds like you had a good day. Hey, what, what's that on the floor over there? Shoes and socks. I go, yeah, I see that. Yeah. Where are they supposed to be? Away. Um, we go take care of that. Now, can I have both task and relationship? Absolutely. Yes. And I want my children to know that I care about them, even if it's, a, you know, it's just part of life. And the same thing happens at work when we, you know, focus so much on, on the task. Like when I was a new CEO, I was under a lot of stress and I had an incredible administrative assistant. And on class days, we would have people come from all over the world to come to our, our office where we would host them and then take them by motor coach up to about hundred miles into the desert, into an incredible retreat that we had that was on about 72 acres. But class days were very hectic because we would have just all of these people coming and plus all of their, you know, company guests would come. And so we had just, it was just a zoo. And, and my administrative assistant would take the calls and welcome them in and, and, but the work still had to go on. And I remember just being focused on solving the company's problems. And so I, I went in to where she was and I said, Hey, you know, could you take care of X, Y, and Z for me? And, and of course, you know, with a position power, your administrative assistant's not going to argue and fuss with you saying, Hey, I'm too busy. Spencer, can't you tell? I was so focused on my challenges that I didn't notice how busy she was. And at the end of the day, I walk into, to her and, and she's just, she's an awesome administrative assistant, just great person. And, and I, I could, see that she was stressed and, and hadn't, I said, were you able to get that done? She said, no. And I said, that's okay. When can you get it done? It wasn't urgent that it had to be done that day. And she said, well, I can have it done by tomorrow. I go, great. 
thank you so much. And, but what happens is, is that sometimes we, you know, we apologize, but what happens if I do that again and again and again to my administrative assistant, I'm not paying attention or I'm not understanding the impact that I'm having on her. After a while, people start to become jaded and, and they don't give us our be their best effort. They're not engaged with us. And right. I want people to, to want to work for me, to, you know, to, to metaphorically die for you. Of course, you don't, you know, that's, don't take that the wrong way, yeah, not right. die under you because but you be are willing such to put their best effort correct. That they're there, the time that you're theoretically paying for, or in a relationship, that's right. That what you described, you said a lot of times the family gets the second, but right. what you described is if you put that relationship first, you still get the task because you said, wait a minute, disconnect, putting that person first, putting how they need to be communicated with first. That's right. You can, you can have all, you can click all the boxes, but you have to think of it as person in first box. It's what allows you to sustain your productivity. Right. Because if you're just, what happens is a lot of managers, it's, it's all about getting stuff done, right? It's all about, this is a meritocracy. We are, we're all about productivity. The irony is, is if that's your focus, you won't be able to sustain that productivity because you'll lose your best people. You're not going to get their best effort. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of, of, of a marriage relationship. You have Dr. John Gottman out of Seattle has studied Love him. Yeah. yeah. He studied what makes relationships sustainable for over 30 years. And just something as simple. He, he said he could, he could watch a couple for an hour and with 98% accuracy, he could tell them, if they would be married, you know, within the next five years. And I think he got it down to like 15 minutes with like 96% accuracy. Wow. And one thing that he said was you have to have at least five positive to every one negative interaction. And a negative interaction could be an eyeball roll or just not being considerate or understanding that someone was overwhelmed and, and acknowledging that exact right and so yep. think of you know Stephen Covey talked about the emotional bank account yep so in, yep. in a lot of ways those are those are very similar concepts is is when we're focused on relationships we're, we're we're making deposits in that in that in that relationship bank account so to speak and every once in a while when we make a mistake or we screw up or we get frustrated we take a withdrawal but there's something in there to withdraw from right and I think this is such now, kind of fun factoid before I go into the back to our conversation. Um, Stephen Covey ended up building a home, he and his wife, Sandra, near where I grew up. And so before people get an image of where I grew up, our house flooded every year. And so my parents got an amazing deal on it. But it was in a wealthier neighborhood, which supplied for us kids fabulous house cleaning and shoveling because we live where it snows a lot and uh, yard work opportunities. So that was part of my childhood, but I never got a clean for the Coveys because they evidently had a staff. <laughs> you know, They built like a house that looked like a, a hotel up on the hill, but um, yeah. he was a Sunday school teacher. When my husband and I were, I was, we were visiting our home church when we were about to get married. And, you know, I'm just, we're just sitting there talking and the teacher walks in and of course everyone's used to this. And my husband's like, is, is that, is that, is that, and I'm like, Stephen Covey, you know, and in our church, we call people brother and sister. So I was like, yeah, brother Covey. And he's like, Stephen, Stephen Covey, as in the author. And I'm like, yeah, he's, and he's like, whoa. And he's like, 
I need notepad. I need paper. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, just kind of a fun connection to Stephen Covey. But that principle of putting investments in things, I think so often going back to intention, that people will say something like, you know, or let's say they're your family or their boss, there's you know, a relationship connection that is going to be complicated to sever. And they say, well, I'm your boss, so you have to like it. Or I'm your, you know, I'm, I'm your, your sister. So it's just, just it's just the I way it you. is. We're family, we're connected. What can you do? And it's like, right. you can't slap someone emotionally again and again and again, and them say, yeah, I want to be here. Because if it's an employment situation, you'll leave. That's right. You know, if people are not heard, if they're not listened to, if they're not validated emotionally, no matter how task oriented you are, that person eventually is going to go, not worth it. You know, you think about uh, if if any of our listeners like college sports in today's world, we have what's called the transfer portal in college sports and football and basketball. What happens is if the if the student athlete does not get the attention or the playing time that they want, they're they're gone. I mean, they enter the transfer portal and they go to another school where a coach was is willing to work with them or give them playing time. And we live in a in a in a society today where, you know. If, if someone does not feel valued within an organization, they leave. And, and valued means that you listen to them. You are somebody that cares about diversity and inclusion. And one of those things is, is just treating people with dignity and respect. And that doesn't mean people get to do what they want. I mean, there gets to be accountability. There has to be, you know, leadership and, 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 and you know, you need to be able to, to influence people. But they want to be invested in, they want to be given opportunities to right. learn. Oh, that means you're not speaking at them. You're teaching them and you're mentoring them and you're developing them and you're helping them connect with what they do to a bigger purpose. They want to know that they're making the world a better place. Is the, is the world net positive because of what I do every single day? And so that not only happens in relationships, but also happens in, in the widgets that you make or whatever it is that you're doing. Are you making the world a net better place? So that's the same principle of that five positive to everyone negative interaction. What's the net impact of your, of your behavior, of, of how you show up every day? It's okay, so about- I have... I, I don't know if you have the answer to this, because if you do, it's your next billion dollar idea. <laughs> but you mentioned um, that, that everyone wants to have a net positive. And I have met a handful of people in my life that I don't think they want to have a positive. They just want to be entertained and taken care of. And they're mad at you for not willing to do that for them. So is there a magic bullet that we can? Because I think the intention, um, the idea that you want to leave the world a better place is for the, the, there are maybe 70% of people, 75, 80, I don't know, probably 20% of people, right? Because 80, 20 rule, they say applies to everything. That there's those 20% of people who are just like, you know, what we would call entitled. They don't want anything to be better. So what's, what's Spencer Horn's ideas on that? Because I would love to solve this problem in the world. You know, I, I I hear what you're saying, and what what comes to mind is there there are there is a small number of people that are 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 pathological. I mean, and I think that's a smaller number. It's maybe two percent of it. These are people that that don't care for the greater good. They actually want to make your life miserable, and there's not much you can actually do. Uh, they actually want to engage with you to 
cause pain. And so there's the, there's, those are the extremes. I'm talking those are the about, extreme that you're talking about. I'm talking about just the generally lazy there. Um, I had a roommate when I lived in Alaska who had uh, a college degree and I was scraping and saving every penny I could to be able to go to college. And she was working at 7-Eleven and I was like, why are you working at 7-Eleven? And she's like, it doesn't take any brain power. And as I lived with her for um, about a year, it was like, literally, she just wanted her life. She wasn't a bad person by any, you know, she wasn't, but she did, I did not see any drive or impetus in her, the way she projected her life to improve who she was or her situation. She just felt like working at 7-Eleven, again, not bashing people who do that. Um, but if that was the rest of her life to not have to have a job that tested her intellectually and to not have relationships that challenged her emotionally, and that if she were given a check every month, that would have been totally fine with her. You know, Lita, I, I believe, and it's, and it's a great question. I believe that you have to, at some point, get sick and tired of being sick and tired enough to change, to want to change. And some people just haven't gotten there yet. And I think yeah. we live in a society that is, unfortunately, we have a, a society that rescues people from bad decisions. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll give you an, an example. And this is not about whether you believe in, in vaccination or not, but I, I went to speak in Ohio recently and they have this because they're, they're trying to get the young adults to, to take the, the vaccine. So they had a lottery, five people win a million dollars. So they call it vax a million. So <laughs> it's called Sounds Vax like a Roman, uh, Roman God or Roman emperor. <laughs> exactly. So, so, you know, the idea is to get people to be socially responsible to do something, but we have to actually pay them to do that. When, you know, large banks uh, make fail, uh, you know, we got to bail them out because, you know, in some cases, they, some industries are called too big to fail because of the social impact. You know, I was working at that leadership company. Let me tell you a story about this that, that, that may or may not be interesting to you. But um, I, before I became the CEO, I was one of the salespeople. And one of the other salespeople at the time was complaining about the fact that they were losing their house. This was during the recession. And what had happened is that individual had, you know, the real estate in Las Vegas, several speculative markets, uh, places like Orlando and La like Las Vegas, the real estate values cut in half. And so the value of people's homes was way less than what they owed on their mortgage. And so they, some people just stopped paying them and they thought, well, you know, President Obama at the time, they have these programs that they'll buy us out and, and we'll be able to um, get our houses back. And they'll, they'll correct. I mean, when you buy a house, you have take the risk that the value of the home may increase or go down. That's right. That's the, that's the risk that you that you take on. And so he was complaining about how the banks weren't taking responsibility and that the, the president of the United States, you know, had all these programs and, and, it, and he was complaining. That's why he was losing his house. No, he stopped paying his mortgage so he could save that money. Yes, times were tough, but then he got too far behind. He couldn't catch up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're, th this is, this is your challenge. This is your, your fault. And he thought my, you know, my words were, were harsh. It wasn't the president's fault. It wasn't the bank's fault. It's his challenge. But what happens and, and what I, what I hadn't told him is that I've lost a home. I know what it's like. It hurts. To... I, I mean, I, I uh, haven't, 
but I've seen um, my parents lose a home because yeah. they weren't, uh, they didn't pay their taxes and I helped them clean through that. And it was heartbreaking and they had all this shame around it and it was really yeah. difficult. And um, one of the principles that I think is key to being, you know, I've written a book on not being a victim, not, you know, overcoming sexual abuse. And the key principle is the further you remove the ability for you to affect your life from your hands, the more of a victim you have chosen to be. Correct. So even in the case of sexual abuse, there is, it's totally his fault in, in my case, the person that chose to molest me, yeah. um, totally his fault but I still have things to learn. And there was still a mess made in my life. And if I chased after him to take responsibility, I'd be waiting a long time and possibly you never. To, you get to choose how you behave after right. that. What and happened? of course I make it a poo analogy that, you know, if you, somebody dropped a bunch of poo on you, you still have to clean it up and you chase after them. You're just throwing poop everywhere in your life. Right. So um, I, I'm just like, yes, because if you're sitting there blaming the president, if you're not next door to the president, he probably doesn't even know who you are right. and you're disempowering yourself the further you responsibility. It, and if you think that where the locus of control is, right? If, if, if the problems that you're experiencing are outside of yourself, then nothing you do matters. And so you do nothing. But if you say, listen, I have control when I, when we lost our house, my poor wife, she, she had no control because she wasn't working or, and, you know, think of raising the, the five kids. Yes. And the so dinner. the impact of my choices and, and my failures had on the entire family was very, very hard, but it was my fault. It wasn't the banks or anybody else's. And we, you know, it was hard, but we moved on. We got a rental property and, and we moved forward. We took personal responsibility. We were able you to learned able things to that have made you a great success today. Yeah. Can yeah. you see what behind me, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you uh, learn, uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Yeah, but absolutely. Th it is. This is what I would say is sometimes they just have to have their head handed to them, mm -hmm. but we have created a society that, that um, takes away the impact of our bad decisions. The, when we have an opportunity to experience the consequences of our choices, we typically make better choices. And so, this really is to me, yeah. if you want to put prejudice on it is, yeah, I heard it said one time and I really liked it, the, the prejudice of low expectations and having lived among people of all different colors and religions and all of that and traveled around the world as you and I do get to as speakers um, and all over the country, we are all the same. We mm -hmm. all have the same hopes and dreams and we all have challenges. And what makes us like ourselves is how we confront those challenges and how we deal with those challenges and telling somebody that they can't because of what they look like, because um, of where they came from is the prejudice of low expectations. And I just love that phrase so much because it was like, yeah, I've had people tell me I can't achieve. You know, I wasn't worth, my grandparents told me I wasn't worth any investment, you know, to help me go to college. But, you know, my sister was, my cousins were. And you know what? I, I cried about that for a few days and then I got angry and went to work. No, Lita, I, I know we're, we're getting close to our, our time, but I just like to share one more concept. I hadn't even noticed. I'm just like in this conversation. <laughs> there is a, um, you know, the, the, kind of what you're describing is what 
you know, scriptures talk about being poor in spirit, right? There are some people that are listening to this that say, well, because of your experience or your privilege, you don't have the same perspective of someone that didn't have the same opportunity as you. And that's, um, I, I believe there is some truth to that, but there was years and years ago, there was a, some research done by, um, Steve Meyer and Martin Seligman, and this was done years ago, and they were studying what happened to uh, dogs when they put them in a cage, and they would shock them for like seven seconds, and in one of the cages, they had a, a button they could press their nose on, it would stop the shocks, and so as you would expect, they, they figured it out, and they would press that and, and, and relieve themselves, but in the other cage, there was no such option, and some of these poor animals, and it was, I know it's pretty inhumane, but the, the lessons learned were, were very interesting, but the, the dogs would just, when they heard the bell and the shock was going to come, they would just curl up and start whimpering and, you know, cause they couldn't do anything. Right. Right. They took both of these, these uh, dogs that were in these two different cages that had these two different experiences. They put them in a common pen. So you had, you had one and what it, he, he identified what was called learned helplessness. Right. Right. The idea that, you know, I've, I've, I've been, you know, I was raised by a family that had no expectations. I, I don't want to be challenged. You know, uh, I, I just don't want to have to think hard or whatever it is that your friend experienced was maybe similar to this because they've had that experience or maybe that's what they were taught. Mm -hmm. it, it's a learned helplessness in, in a yeah. way that some of these dogs experience. But they put both of these dogs, the ones that had the ability to, to take control, that had the power and the ones that didn't. And they put them in a pen that had a wall about four foot high. And they rang the bell that the shocks were coming to see what would happen. And as you would expect, when the bell rang, those dogs that had control, most of them jumped out. Maybe a few of them didn't. But what was most interesting is that, as you would expect, most of the dogs that had learned helplessness just kind of curled up that learned behavior. Right. But about a fourth of them to a third of them got up and jumped out. And that's what they wanted to understand. What is it about those dogs that had no opportunity, that had no privilege? Why did they get up and take action? And that's what they studied. And what they found is it, had to, it has to do with choice. And it's called learned optimism. When we have pessimism, when we think basically all of the problems we experience are prolonged and there's nothing we can do about them, then we do nothing. But if we think that, that what, why we're experiencing what, what we're experiencing is short term and we have control over, then we actually do things in our life and we actually change our environment. We, we change the script. We create our results. Absolutely. The problem is, is that some people, based on what they've seen in their lives, they actually can't see the opportunities. They don't. And those around them. I mean, I've lived in the hood of DC and worked at a hospital where, um, you know, gunshot victims, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I blame a lot on Hollywood making it because I grew up with so much diversity that it never occurred yeah. to me that by what we look like, we were limited. Yeah. And I would see those movies and I'd be like, huh, why they depict, you know, Latinos that way or black people that way. And, you know, you and I, I'm assuming around the same age, you know, we would see the, the Cosby show and, you know, how that turned out. But, you know, I just didn't, um, I just didn't see that that was a difference. And more and more, you see more and more of this hood mentality and 
it's more and more of teaching people you can't. It's actually glorified. And, and it's, yeah. listen, you, this is who you are. And, and because of who you are, you deserve uh, something. And, you know, for centuries and uh, for thousands of years, people have been repressed. People have been made slaves. People have been made to do things that were awful. And, you know, we can't, we can't allow, I, I could, I could go on for hours of the things my family experienced in, in my father experienced old Nephi, Nephi. And, um, you know, growing up in Nazi Germany, he, he looked Jewish and he, oh, yeah. um, not and, a and, good place. And yeah, with a weird religious name. Yeah. He had to prove he wasn't, they made him pull his pants down a lot of times. And I know that oh, <laughs> you wow. don't know what that means, but I do it, know. It, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was, um, and not only that, because of his faith, there was, you know, lots of, lots of challenges and, and discrimination and, and same with my, my grandfather and, and just the, the horrific things that, that they saw, but you know what, they came to this country and they came to Canada, they came to the United States because of the opportunities that exist for anyone. People who come here from other countries have a, a much bigger chance of becoming successful and independently wealthy than people that are actually born here because they know what it's like to have nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you when you've experienced that and you come here, that you are given an opportunity. Everybody has that that ability. And yes, some people have more than others. You live down the hill where the, the house flooded. That doesn't mean that the people that lived up the hill from you were. But the better. truth is, I looked at that and thought, I could have that. You could have that. And there's a great, there's a great gift of growing up in a neighborhood that I had access to education. This is why I'm a really believe in school parent, you know, parents should get to choose where they send their kids to school instead of just by um, address. Yeah. They should be able to choose because I went to school with and lived around people that were like, you're going to go to college. And even though that wasn't totally realistic in my family, because the lack of paying taxes made getting a Pell grant or anything like that inaccessible, I still strove for that. And even though I didn't get that four-year degree, I still had that drive. And so it's hard. Yeah, I, I just think we need to keep sending out messages and yeah. saying you can be whatever. And, um, you know, I, I try not to get too religious, but I can't help myself because I love God so much. I always say I'm a fan of Jesus, but I really just think if we just all saw each other as sons and daughters of God and any other description, any other label is not nearly as important as that, then we give people the opportunity and um, really check our own prejudice if we see ourselves as anything better than anyone else, because we all can become and overcome. Lita, that is so important. If we see ourselves as sons and daughters of God, then that means we can become as he is. And he is amazing. That means we have the ability to grow. And, and it's the, one of the greatest forms of worship is to emulate. I want maybe my kids, I, I hope they're better than me, but at least if they, if they come to me and say, you know, dad, you, I, I if they're proud of me as a parent, I, that makes me, you know, they want to at least follow in my footsteps in some way of, uh, in some things about maybe my relationship with my wife, that is a form of, of worship, but we are striving to be like our eternal parents. And that is, that means we, we have to grow and learn and overcome 
all of these weaknesses and limitations that we have and not use them as excuses, but opportunities to, to grow and overcome. Adversity has been one of my greatest teachers and we've had a lot of it. Same. I'm Same. grateful. I'm grateful for that adversity. And I'm grateful that you had me on here to, to talk. And I hope, you know, maybe it's the socks that, that helps somebody. Maybe it's the. Well, uh, my producer tells me he loves it when I cry. So um, he'll be happy <laughs> when he edits this. <laughs> because I cried Um, and I just love being able to go deep and thank you so much for sharing so much in your past and before we end Spencer because I I suspect I could ask you more questions and we could keep going um, but what is your fuel so that's um, something that lights you up a daily habit or affirmation that you have that gives you strength I, so my fuel is I get outside I, I get out in God's beautiful creations. I I just have to be, I run out in the mountains or mountain bike almost every day. And, um, you know, just last Saturday, I uh, went up to the top of the mountain, raised my hands. By the way, Spencer's crying a little bit. Love it. (laughs) Raise my hands in prayer. Just, I don't know. There's something about being out there in, in, in God's creations that, um, inspires me. And, and oftentimes I'm listening to podcasts and there's some great ones. I shared one with you that I listen to when I'm out there. And that's just something that just recharges me. Uh, yeah. Love it. Okay. And your oxygen, something that may others may not see, but has helped you, um, help you become who you are. I feel like your whole, this whole podcast, you shared it's, that, the, it's but... the adversity. It's the challenges that yeah. we have. And yeah. And then what is your heat, a unique gift that you give to the world that you're most proud of? You know, the thing that I'm most proud of is, is my family. And, and it's, I have an amazing wife that is just, our kids are, are amazing. And they're certainly not perfect because we're not perfect, but um, I'm so proud of, of our children and our family. And, and to me, that's, that's a big thing. And then my faith, you know, it's just the, the, the faith that I have. And we live in a world right now that is so noisy. And so many people I talk to are world weary. They're world weary. And uh, it's my family and my faith that give me peace and comfort, even in this crazy world. And I feel so blessed because of that. And, and I am privileged and I acknowledge my privilege, but it, it's a privilege that anyone can have if they choose it. Amen. I tell my kids, you, you're not privileged because of the color of your skin. You're privileged because you have two parents that love you and are giving you a platform to jump off of in life. That is a privilege that is immense and huge. And so people who don't have that, who don't have parents that are able to disconnect from their own issues enough to be there for them, it's a really big hurdle to overcome in life. So thank you for coming on, Spencer. And I'm glad you cried too. So <laughs> it's a double crier. <laughs> and thank you for being so open. I really, I knew, I knew you'd be awesome on here. So thank you for your time today. And thank you for giving so much of yourself to my listeners. So to my listeners, thank you so much for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness with Lita Green and Spencer Horn. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.